Welcome to the first episode of the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Russell. Our goal is to help South Florida become a global hotspot for veganism, and launching this podcast is just one of the many ways we plan to help build awareness for all of the amazing sights and sounds happening in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. We're honored to have animal rights activist Earthling Ed as our first official guest. Immediately following our interview, we'll share some exciting things happening behind the scenes at SoFlow Vegans and how you can join our movement. Be sure to visit SoFloVegans.com for the show notes for this episode. So with that being said, enjoy part one of our two-part interview with Earthling Ed. And today we have a leader in the animal rights movement joining us to talk about many things dealing in the world of veganism and of course being compassionate so we have earthling ed thank you so much for joining soflo vegans yeah my absolute pleasure thanks so much for for inviting me to do this and it's a it's a real privilege to be able to speak to about veganism to to you and indeed all of the south florida community i'm really excited and what my intention for this conversation is to wring all of your insights and knowledge about, about the um, animal rights movement and yeah. share it with our community so we can continue to grow and build yeah. and you know, be there for, for all beings. Sounds great. So let's get started for people who may be watching this and not familiar with your particular movement. Give us a little bit of background on who Earthling Ed is. Yeah, so um, I'm a UK grassroots um, animal rights activist. Um, I've been doing it now for, for about two years. I, I set up a YouTube channel um, as my first form of activism where I was making content about um, veganism, vegan education, but I also went out on the streets and kind of had uh, conversations with people, talking to them about the morality of consuming animal products and the morality of veganism. Um, and from there, I kind of progressed to doing more outreach stuff on the streets, doing things like Anonymous the Voiceless, um, and then going to save movement vigils. Um, and it's really just kind of like progressed from there really. I now co-direct um, an animal rights organization in the UK called Surge and we host lots of events, um, one of them being the official Animal Rights March, which is uh, kind of expanding now into a global annual march all about animal rights, all about the abolition of animal exploitation. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm just kind of a, a UK animal rights activist trying to do my bit to, to spread the message as much as possible really. And what do you think about your message has resonated with the audience? Why have, what, what your particular way of speaking to people that passerbys, um, what about your approach is really resonating not only with the people you're reaching out to, but the people who are watching you and being moved by what you're doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, sometimes I don't, it's, sometimes it's a bit strange to me because I don't think that I do anything that other people wouldn't necessarily be able to do. But I think what people often say to me is, is this kind of the, the calmness that people respond well to. And I think for me, what kind of triggers a lot of what I do now was, was having conversations with non-vegans and not knowing what to say to them. Um, and it would really bug me when I didn't know how to respond. So I kind of made it a bit of a mission of mine to educate myself as much as possible and learn as much as possible about all the excuses and arguments that people use to justify not going vegan. And in doing so, I wouldn't be in a situation where I'd avoid as much as possible being in situations where I'd be having a conversation with a non-vegan and they'd say something that I couldn't respond to. So I think just by kind of arming myself with, with as much knowledge as possible, it allowed me to kind of be calm and allowed me to, to, 
to hopefully be as informed um, as as I could be for those conversations. I think that's what people respond well to is just kind of that demeanor of, of uh, I guess it's empathy as well. And, and what, I, what I always try and keep in mind when I'm talking to people is that I was once in their situation, meaning I once ate animal products. And there was a reason why I did that. And there's a reason why they still do that. And for me, it would not have been productive if someone had kind of belittled me or kind of talked aggressively to me. That would have you know, spurred me to research veganism or think about veganism. Um, and I thought, well, if that wouldn't work for me, what would work for me? And, and that would be kind of a calm, rational, logical discussion. And I thought, well, if, if that's what would work for me, it would make sense for that to work for everyone else that I talked to. Um, so I kind of used that empathy, that kind of that kind of reasoning to, to, to keep myself calm and level-headed. Now, obviously, by no means does that mean that I don't get frustrated and angry and, and annoyed at times because, you know, we're all humans and we all care deeply about the cause so it's only logical that that would be the case um but at the same time i always try to try to maintain the element of of calmness and um and empathy empathy i think is is, is probably the good word for it so there you say you started the youtube channel so what yeah. prompted you and we're gonna get into your path into veganism but what prompted you to start a youtube channel what was the impetus for that it's interesting, really. I mean, I've been vegan um, for, for quite a while, but kind of a passive vegan. Um, and I was I was always afraid of being labeled preachy or militant or extremist or, or whatever kind of negative word people associate with vegans. And, and for that reason, I always kept quite quiet and didn't want to Im impose my views, if you like, or, or force my opinions. Um, but it, it started to sit really kind of restlessly with me, and I, I couldn't really justify being quiet anymore. I, I was watching all these documentaries, I was learning all the information, I was seeing the graphic footage, and knowing that information but not vocalizing it or speaking up on behalf of those that are oppressed just seemed like, a, like an injustice. And I, I kind of got this a feeling inside of me that to remain silent was to be complicit still. And even though I wasn't actively engaging in those industries with my own money, by being quiet, I was almost allowing them to continue. Um, so I, I kind of got spurred on my partner was like, you should set up a, a YouTube channel. And at the time when she first mentioned that, I was like, there's not, no chance I'm going to do that. No chance. And, um, you know, the first couple of videos I recorded, I just deleted them, had to do them again, hated it, thought it was terrible. This isn't going to work for me. Um, and then slowly, I guess I just built more confidence, but I think it was just that, that feeling that I needed to do something. And back then, two years ago, YouTube was, and it still is a big thing now, but it was it was a really big tool um, within the vegan community. A lot of activists were on YouTube. And I just felt like it was one of the best platforms for kind of getting the information out there. Because the beauty of social media is you never know who's going to see it. Um, and you just don't know who it's going to come across. I think sometimes we get stuck in the echo chamber. But the beauty of social media is it has that power and potential to get shared anywhere. Um, and for that reason, though, I kind of felt that it was an important thing to do so yeah so you created the when did you create the youtube channel around yes yeah, so january 2016 so 25 months ago okay and so you created the youtube channel how long before it started to pick up and people really started yeah. to and this, this is the thing youtube right it's a difficult platform and it took me a long time i think it, it i was looking about six months before i started getting anywhere that I was kind of content with. And I think what happens for a lot of people, and it's certainly happened for me, is, is you, you put so much effort at the beginning, you're, you're making videos and they're just not being seen. And, and you kind of get frustrated and you don't know why, you're pouring your heart and soul into it, the information's good, you, you know, you think you're doing well, but it's just not getting out there. Um, so, and it took me probably a good six months before I started to kind of reach a bit more of a broader audience. But even then it took 
it took me a year to, to get to somewhere where I felt established. And, and I guess really, um, it's just, it's, it's a long, arduous process. And people sometimes say to me, like, oh, I want to set up a YouTube channel. And I'm like, please go for it. It's such a fantastic thing. But just remember, don't be disheartened if it's difficult at the beginning, because it is for everyone, or it is for most people. And, and I think that's why I say to everyone, it doesn't matter what type of activism you get involved in. But the, the thing about social media activism is it is you, it will be difficult at the beginning, and you shouldn't be disheartened by it if if you are struggling to find those followers or get those views. And, um, and as long as you just keep churning out and you're consistent and the quality remains, you know, as good as it can be, eventually something good will happen from it or good will come from it. So when you started the YouTube channel, were you also engaged in on the street activism or did that take time for you to get to that point? It was about actually about five months later before I started doing on the street activism. Um, and I don't really know why it took me so long. I think I was nervous and I think I was a bit afraid and, and I didn't want to kind of make a fool of myself or throw myself at the deep end and not do not do the animals justice and i kind of like lulled myself into thinking well because it's making videos if i don't like it i can delete it or not upload it but when you're on the street having that conversation with someone you can't delete the conversation right what happens happens and and, and the conversation you have is is permanent and i think i was really afraid for such a long time of making a mistake that i kind of put it off and as i say it took about five months and then and then one day it was just it was actually really random i was i was in new york with my partner and there was an earthlings experience event happening and we were in the museum of modern art and it was happening in times square and we were like oh we're just around the corner should we do it and we thought well why not we've got nothing else to do and it was just kind of random we had no intention of going along necessarily but we just ended up there and absolutely loved it I had a great time um really enjoyed the conversations i had and then was kind of hooked from that moment on so I, I, again what i'd always say to someone is if, if you're worried or nervous that's natural and it's important because it, it, well, I mean, it means that you care, but don't let that stop you because the moment you get there and you get into it and you see how, how these outreach events work, how, how they operate, you'll feel so confident and empowered and you'll leave feeling so good about yourself because you know you've made a difference. And, and I think activism is very addictive. Um, so I kind of regret taking five months, you know, before I got involved, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing really. When I, when, I, when I think about my activism journey, I look at all the different stages, I can see my mentality and I can see what I was thinking at the time and how it then progressed onwards to the next step into the next step. And I look back at what I was doing then. And if I, if I knew what I then, what I was doing now, I wouldn't believe it for a second. I'd be like, you're talking about a different person. There's no way that, that that's Ed doing those things. Do you think the way that you did it gave you a different perspective? So when you were able to go out there, you were in a different place? Or if you could do it again, would you immediately do both the digital and the on the street at the same time? I, mean, I think what worked to my advantage was, was doing the, the online digital stuff first meant that I'd researched an awful lot um, because I was making a lot of videos um, about varying aspects of veganism, you know, clothing as, as well as, as food and, 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 and entertainment as well. Um, and because of that, I was armed with, with a lot of knowledge. And if I'd gone straight into it in January 2016, I'd have not really known how to speak to anyone. And I, and I wouldn't have had that knowledge at my disposal. Um, so I, what I would wish I had done was would cram that knowledge in as quickly as possible and get out there quickly, you know, get there quicker. But I think it worked to my advantage having that little break because those five months I was solidly making videos I was solidly learning about all these different topics and tangents of veganism and tangents of animal exploitation. And that, and that worked to my favor massively um, for when I actually got out there on the street. So research is so important and also practice. And now practice means going out there and physically doing it, but it also means practice with yourself in the mirror, practice in the shower, practice with your partner or your friend. What is a common justification that someone's going to use to excuse not going vegan? Say it out loud and then say out loud what your response will be to that. 
and then move on to a different excuse and just practice as much as you possibly can. And, and what I found at least is that over time, you, you begin to realize that people will, will tend to use the same justifications and the same excuses. And it normally always boils down to taste, right? So learn about the most common justifications and you can respond to them accordingly. Um, and the more you do it, the more confident you'll get and, and the easier it becomes. So you mentioned research was a major part of your current approach. So for someone who is like, okay, maybe I should do some research um, and I just go with the crowd, what would be some go-to sources that you would recommend? Yeah, great question. Um, documentaries, I, I think, are brilliant. So um, Earthlings for America is, um, is brilliant teach you so much about the ways we slaughter animals. I think a lot of the time as vegans, we shy away from the animal cruelty, which is completely understandable. No one wants to see that graphic footage, but I think it, it's important we see it at least once because then we, we actually know what happens and we all have an idea of what goes on in these facilities. But until you actually see it, I don't think you can properly communicate what it's like. And I think when you see it, it kind of adds extra credibility to your argument. So I would say to everyone, watch Earthlings. Um, if you're in the US um, and you live near, watch Earthlings. Um, also, Cowspiracy, brilliant, great about the environment. What the Health and Fox Over Knives for Health are really good. And there's an abundance of other ones on Netflix. Live and Let Live, I think, is one. Um, and there's more coming out. Seaspiracy documentary about fishes coming out, eating ourselves to extinction. So there's, there's always new films coming out. Great things about health. Um, Dr. Greger's How Not to Die, I think, is an invaluable tool just for kind of basic health knowledge. Now, I, I'm not an expert but on the health sides of veganism. But I do think it's important that we kind of have a brief understanding of, you know, why animal products cause cancer or why they cause heart disease or what is it about animal products that are detrimental to our health and what is it about plant products that are, are good for our health. Just, you don't need to know the ins and outs of everything, but the very basics I think really help. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Actually, there's a really great book that I read and it's called um, The Morality of Eating Animals. It's by Gary Francione. Um, the animal, the animal rights activist, and it really covered so much about veganism. And that for me was a really invaluable tool at the beginning of my activism journey. So if, if there's one book I'd recommend, it'd probably be the Gary Francione one, uh, The Morality of Eating Animals. Um, again, the internet is a useful resource for us vegans and social media has really revolutionized veganism and, and it's allowed us to have access to independent information that you know all the generations didn't have access to and before social media people relied on what the media was telling us what the you know the industries themselves were telling us what politicians were telling us but now with social media we're not restrained by those kind of or we're not constrained by those restraints which means that we have access to that information and freedom of information so utilize social media to kind of learn the unbiased and impartial aspects of um of the information that's out there so, so we'll be putting all of the host recommendations in our notes. So don't worry if you're watching this and like, I got to pause it every single two seconds. Um, so amazing resources. So now I want to go back a little bit before you yeah. put the YouTube, what made you want to become vegan and around when yeah. did this happen in your journey? So let's go back to May. When would it be? May. I'll be my free four years ago, no, May 2014, I think it was. This is when, it, when the first kind of like main thing triggered in my head about it. And I came across this story basically, and it was, it was about this truck full of, of chickens on the way to the slaughterhouse had crashed on the motorway. And I was reading, it was, it was in BBC News. Um, and I was reading about it and the journalist was saying that I think it was like 1500 of these animals had died on the impact on the crash. 
um, and there were hundreds more that were mutilated. They had broken wings, broken bones. They were dying on the side of the road. Um, and even more so, what disturbed me was there's some running for freedom, running into like, the nearby fields and, and even running into oncoming traffic. And it, it, it really disturbed me and shook me. And I, and I remember thinking how horrible it must be for these animals. They must be suffering terribly and the ones that are alive must be so scared and so full of fear. But I realized that, well, actually, in, in my fridge just over there, there's some dead chickens. And the only reason they were in that truck is because I, I was paying for them to be there. Um, and it was hypocritical of me to feel sorry for these animals when I was the one that had sentenced them to that situation. And if anything, the ones that had died in impact had an, a more pleasant death than the ones that would make it to the slaughterhouse because their death would have been instantaneous. But the ones that had taken the slaughterhouse had the fear as they'd been hung upside down and dragged with that electric water bath or, you know, had their throats cut. So... I went vegetarian after that because, well, I mean, I didn't know about the egg and dairy industries, but I couldn't sit comfortably with myself knowing that the animals that I ate had emotions like fear and pain and suffering. And it was interesting because it was the first time that I actually recognized these animals did suffer. It, it's funny because it seems so obvious that, of course, these animals are alive, they suffer, but we never think about it. And I acknowledged very easily that dogs and cats felt pain and wanted to live and had a preference to live. But the animals on my plate, for some reason, I didn't think they had those same abilities or those same ones. So it forced me to reevaluate how I viewed the animals that I would normally see on my plates. And I realized actually these animals are just the same as me or the animals that I love and they want to live. And because they want to live, how do I justify taking their life? And, and there wasn't a justification because there isn't one. Um, so that was what made me go veggie. And then my partner, this is about eight months later, she says we should watch Earthlings. And I said to her, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to watch that. I knew, I knew, I, I mean, I knew a little bit what it was about. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to watch that. I'm a vegetarian. Animals don't die for me, right? That kind of old, you know, that that thought that many of us have had as vegetarians. That's what I thought. For. Animals don't die for me. There's no need for me to watch earthlings. I, I even said veganism is extreme. I said that myself. Mm. Um, one day she put it on. I thought, okay, let's just watch it. So I watched it, and that was kind of it. After that, I was like, oh, this is. This is serious. So this is far bigger than just meat. In fact, it's far bigger than just the animal products that we eat. This is everything, clothing, cosmetics, animal testing, entertainment. The magnitude of it, it dawned on me in that moment, is so huge and so vast that simply being vegetarian didn't even come close to being enough. So that was what triggered me then to, to, to look up the environment and the health and, and go vegan. And along those lines of your progression, you know, I'm so glad to hear that you did only because of where you stand right now that it wasn't just like immediate you had even though you went through that incident with that article became vegetarian there was still room for you to move forward into where you are today and i know hopefully a lot of people listening to that will realize that hey it's just being conscious of what's actually happening and arming yourself with the knowledge yeah. to be able to, you know, eventually make that shift. Because I hear a lot, you know, veganism is, is extreme. But yeah. the point that I want to make now is, do you recognize any seeds that might have been planted prior to you reading that article that made uh, you make that shift? So you know what, this is, a, I'm really happy you asked this question because this is something I've actually been thinking about recently. Now, I think, how old will I have been? I was in... So I was in school. Um, this won't mean anything to, to you guys. I was in secondary school in year eight. So I, I, don't, I don't know what that, that equals of that is in the US, but I would have been about, I guess, 12 maybe. And it was an English literature class. And I, and I, I don't really remember why, but for, for some reason, the topic of vegetarianism came up and we had a vegetarian. There was a vegetarian girl in, in my class. 
And I remember I raised my hand in the air um, and the teacher was like, yes, Edwards. And I went, all vegetarians are weak, pale and skinny. And uh, I remember this vegetarian girl in the class was so angry at me. She was furious at me. But in my head, I, I didn't understand wh why she should be angry because I thought I was just stating the truth. I mean, it was kind of really ironic because I, I was pale, weak and skinny myself. So it was really, it, the irony was totally lost to me, but I'm saying the vegetarians are pale, weak and skinny. I ate meat and I, I, I was also pale, weak and skinny. But it, it was kind of funny, but I, I didn't understand why she was angry at me. And I think that's what kind of, this, this thought went through my head of, well, Am I not? Am I not just stating facts? Now you see, vegetarianism—the only time it was ever brought up in my family was when it was being mocked um, and when it was being judged. And for whatever reason, my family weren't very tolerant of the concept of vegetarians, um, and it was—it was a joke. Um, and I think that societal conditioning had been so installed in my head that it was just an automatic reaction for me to say that that's what vegetarians were like. I didn't even register whether it was a good thing to say or a bad thing to say. I just blurted out because that's what I'd been told. Um, but, but her being angry at me causes reaction in me to think, well, actually, why is she angry at me? And I looked at her and I thought, well, she's, she's not pale and she's certainly stronger than I am. So maybe there's something about this vegetarianism. Mm -hmm. But obviously I, I went home and, and continued eating animal products with a, you know, without ever questioning it. But I think that was a, a little bit of a moment. And then I had a few, I, I came to university. So now I'm 18 um, and I, I actually became friends with a lot of vegetarians um, and they were they would you know obviously make a point of being vegetarian and by that I mean when we ordered food you know it was always vegetarian they never cheated on it or anything like that and I think being around those people influenced me a lot um, and kind of taught me a lot about being vegetarian and what it was now I didn't know a single vegan and when I went vegan with my partner we had never met a vegan in our life um, I was I, to be honest I was a bit of a, a reluctant vegan like I was like I'm doing it for the animals, but I, I don't enjoy it. It's like, I want to eat those animal products, you know? And, I, and that's kind of how it was at the beginning. Like I, I really missed it. And, and, I, and I missed eating things like halloumi and getting Domino's pizza and stuff. And I think what we often portray ourselves is, is going vegan. And then that's it, we're straight in there. We, but it's, it's not quite as true as that. And for me, when I first went vegan, I did miss those products. I mean, there was no, there was no denying that. And I did crave them and I did want them. Um, but, and, and that kind of evolution of, of, of my veganism is quite apparent to see that it was, it took me several months before I really felt comfortable with it and I fully understood it. And I thought, actually, you know what, now I get it. Now, now I feel it. And this is something that I'm going to do for life. Cause I think when I first went vegan, I say stuff like one day I'll have a burger again, or I'll have a fried egg or whatever, you know, whatever it was that would keep me going at that time, I'll have halloumi again. Um, it was kind of like a way of making myself feel better about it. Cause I was really scared that oh, I'm never going to eat these things again. Oh, people are going to judge me. I've never met a vegan before. I'm going to go into uni and everyone's going to be like, what are you thinking? So my, my little get out of jail clause was one day I'll eat halloumi again or whatever it was. And that kind of stuck with me for the first eight weeks or so. And then I thought, no, now I get it. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. I'm never going to go back. It all clicked into place kind of rather suddenly. Um, a little bit off tangent to what you asked, but I can see in my head this progression of how I am today. And, and it really does feel like these stages of my life and I don't know if, if maybe you feel the same or anyone who's listening feels the same, but I look back on who I was before I was vegan and I just don't recognize myself. And I think, who was this person that just that enjoyed these things? And who was this person who loved bacon and loved, you know, chicken flesh and loved all these things? I don't know who that person was. It doesn't feel like it was ever me. It feels like a different person. And that those memories have somehow got installed in my head by mistake. It's a, it's a funny thing, but I don't know. It's just to see that progression, I feel it makes me really 
pleased because I know that it is a journey. And the beauty of veganism is that the journey never ends. Mm. And I know where I'm going to be next year. I'm going to look back on who I am now and go, who, who was I back then? You know, this is a different person to the person I am now. And that's the beauty of it is it's such a journey. And, and we meet more people on that journey. We meet more activists. We meet more vegans. The community grows. It gets easier and more accessible in society. And it, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. We're living in a very exciting time. Um, and there's such a, a massive change, a radical change happening, particularly where I am in the UK and where you guys are in the US. There's such a fundamental shift going on that I cannot wait to see where we are in five years' time and to see this progression continue. We hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part interview with Earthling Ed. In part two, you'll learn about the dark side of activism, the current state of the animal rights movement, tips on effective communications, and other worldly insights from our featured guest. We will also feature a brand new segment called Ask an Expert. This is where you can leave an audio message asking any vegan-related question you want. We'll then have someone from our expert panel of vegan entrepreneurs and specialists that will answer your question on our podcast. This can also be directed at future guests as we announce them in advance. We would love to hear your feedback about the episode as well. So let us know your thoughts on some of the topics, suggestions for guests, and different things you would like to hear on the show. It's all about supporting our movement of helping make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Now, to leave your voicemail, go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast and look for our podcast voice line. It's this really cool feature you literally all you have to do is just click a button and put in your name and, of course, leave your message and your email address. And that's it. You don't have to plug in any expensive equipment. You can do it from your phone. We try to make it as easy as possible so you don't have to say, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we look forward to hearing from you and to let you know our episodes are released every other week so we look forward to having you join us again subscribe to us on apple stitcher and rss and we'll see you next time love ya